beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, one of the blessings that we have with this book of Ephesians, especially when we begin in chapter 1, is to see God's work on behalf of His people. He tells us what He has done for us in His Son, Jesus Christ, and He tells us what our identity is as those who are the redeemed of Jesus Christ. It's a glorious chapter, that chapter 1. That God is the one who has called us out of darkness. He is the one who has set His love and affection upon us. He is the one who has redeemed us. He has washed us with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who calls us the redeemed, the beloved in Jesus Christ. We find then of all the scriptures that apply to us as the people of God, where God is working all things together for good to those who love Him, to those who are the called according to His purpose. We find God's love for us. We find that He loves us with an infinite love. This love, that is the same love by which He loves His Son, Jesus Christ. It is, it is it's not wrong to say this. It's hard to understand this. God cannot love us any more than He loves us in His Son. Do you recognize, beloved, that on your worst day, God loves you the same as He does on your best day? God's love for us as His people never changes in Christ Jesus. It's a wondrous love. It's an eternal love. God has predestined us unto adoption from before the foundation of the world. We have always been in the mind of God. That's a concept too deep for us to understand. And yet that's the reality of the teaching of Scripture. And so we find God's work on our behalf, and He needs to do this work because we are those, as Paul said in Ephesians 2, who are dead in our trespasses and sins. We're in rebellion against God. We don't want God in any of our thinking. We need to be born of the Spirit of God. That's why we read in John chapter 3, you must be born again. This is what he tells Nicodemus, a religious ruler, one who was in the church. He told him straight out, you must be born of the Spirit of God. You must be born again. And you know, I like to say that. George Whitfield said that often when he preached. And some man asked him one time, why do you keep saying you must be born again? And Whitfield, without hesitation, because you must be born again. You can't enter the kingdom of heaven unless you are born of the Spirit of God. Unless you are raised up spiritually. And beloved, you cannot do that. That's the work of the Spirit, and He works through the means of the Word. That's the instrumental means of salvation, is the preaching of the Word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. It's by the Word of God that the blinders are taken away. It's in Christ Jesus, when we're implanted into Him and have been given true faith, that we believe that our salvation is sure and secure in the person of Jesus Christ. He has redeemed us from all of our sin and misery. And we are complete in Him. You lack nothing else when you have Jesus Christ. All the promises of God belong to you in Christ Jesus. All the blessings in the heavenly places are yours in Christ Jesus. Everything that you need for life and for godliness is in Christ Jesus. Beloved, you don't need more. You just simply need to appropriate what has been given to you in Jesus Christ. And all things are ours in Christ Jesus. So the book of Ephesians is that which really stirs up the people of God 
to serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, to be a thankful people. And a thankful people is a worshipful people. A people that are thankful for their salvation is a people that delight to sing the praises of God. They delight to bow their knees to the word of truth. They desire more about Jesus, would I know. More of His saving mercy show. More, more about Jesus is the life of the redeemed. And Paul speaks about that. We've been saved by grace and we've been saved unto good works. We are saved to do good works. Good works are those which are by true faith done according to the commandments of God and for the glory of God. That's what the believer does. And he grows in that more and more. That is not the basis of our salvation. Christ is the salvation. Christ is our ground of salvation. Christ and Him alone. All of His saving work, not ours. So we can be confident that even though daily I fall short, why am I not cast out? Christ was cast out in my place. Why is it that God receives me? Because Christ has fulfilled the covenant of works in my place. And I stand righteous and holy in Him. His perfection is my perfection. It's been imputed to me. And now this is how I am viewed in Christ Jesus. So here is our identity. God's work in our identity. God tells us who we are. I think that the church of Jesus Christ today has such an identity crisis because we are not faithfully cultivating the Word of God in our lives. Because Scripture tells us who we are. It tells us not only who God is and what God has done for us, it tells us who we are. And beloved, you are who God says that you are. No more, no less. We are no longer sinners of the totally depraved individual. We are those that are saints in Christ Jesus. We still sin, we still struggle, but sin doesn't reign over us. We're in Christ, that's our identity. Paul addresses all the churches in that way, to the saints in Christ Jesus. He doesn't say to the totally depraved sinners who are outside the kingdom of Christ. No, he says to the saints who are in Christ Jesus. That's who you are. It's one of the redeemed. That's one of the benefits that we receive because of the work of Jesus Christ. So God's work in our identity in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is our position. Paul, when he addresses the churches, and you'll find this from Ephesians 1 through 3, there's six chapters. And, and again, the scriptures weren't written in chapter and verses. Those came later. Uh, Jerome was one who was involved in chapters and verses of scripture. Those are not inspired. But Paul, about midway point in his epistle to the Ephesians, which is general epistle, it was to be circulated through the other congregations, but about halfway point, he stops with the indicative, which are statement of facts. Paul, for the, about the first three chapters, is telling us what it is. This is a fact. This is who you are. This is what God has done. And then chapter 4 through 6, we have the imperative. The imperative is the mood of command. Now we are commanded to live a certain way. We are commanded to live out the Word of God, to teach, to live, to submit. This is how we live as the redeemed of Jesus Christ. So, Paul is still in the indicative here in chapter 3. As we move into our text this morning, 
I want you to understand something, just one word right off the bat. Perspective. Perspective. That means everything. Having a biblical perspective of all things. That is what we must cultivate as believers. It doesn't matter what it is or what we're doing or where we're at. We must have a biblical perspective. One of the things that you've heard me say before, you must have a healthy understanding of the providence of God. If you do not have a healthy understanding of the providence of God, so that it gets down into the very fabric of your being, you're going to struggle when difficult times come in your life. You're going to question God's love and affection for you. So we find with Asaph in Psalm 73, the very thing. And what does he do? He goes back to the Word of God. And then he recognizes, then he understands what God has done and what God is doing in his life. But apart from that, he said he was like a beast. I didn't know, I didn't understand, I was angry with God. Have you been angry with the Lord? Have you been angry because things don't happen? Have you been confused in your life? Because things happen in your life that you don't understand. You don't understand why this is happening to you. You see, a good, healthy understanding of the providential rule and reign of God in your life and in all things will be a great help in living your Christian life. It's not going to eliminate the pain. Understand that. Let me say it this way. Oftentimes when you have a surgery they'll give you some anesthesia. Now you might, have an an, you might have a surgery where you've got to be awake to, to respond in a certain way. Like it was a simple procedure of whether or not you have blown discs in your back or your neck or whatever, and you can't be completely asleep. They need you awake. So what they do is they give you an anesthesia and that cuts the pain, but it doesn't eliminate it. So when things happen, we cry. We hurt. Well, maybe you don't. I do. As human beings, we live in a fallen world. We live in fallen bodies. Partially sanctified. I hurt. And you do too. Because we're not any different. We're just alike. We're all in the same boat. We all ache and we all go through pain and difficulty and sorrow and struggles and confusion from time to time. And I'm saying that what cuts the pain is knowing and understanding the providential hand of God, that He is the one upholding all things. You know, one of the things I remember as a kid from Sunday school class is the song, He's got the whole wide world in His hands. Being raised up to know that God is upholding all things. And nothing is arbitrary. But all things are working according to His will and purpose for His pleasure and for the good of His church. That's the comfort. We need that. Paul demonstrates that here when he says, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles. Paul had been a prisoner in Caesarea for two years. He was also a prisoner in Rome for two years. So here he is, the Apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's imprisoned. But this is when he writes his epistles. He writes Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Galatians, from a prison cell. He does some fantastic work, doesn't he, for the people of God while he's in the prison. 
But he has a perspective and he says, I'm the prisoner of Christ. What is he saying here? I'm not here because of the will of man. I'm here because of the will of God. This is God's will that I be in this prison. He had a prison ministry. He had a captive audience. But he wanted everybody to know that he was the one who was in captive to Jesus Christ. Notice when he says, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Uh, that's, that's a genitive of location. That means that he belongs to Christ. He is there by the design of Jesus Christ. And again, as I said, uh, what productivity came out of his life while he was there in the prison. And so, perspective. Why am I here? Why am I working here? Why am I involved in this over here? And you have good intent in doing it. But then things happen in the good intentions that you go through. In the difficulties of the job. Whatever it may be. And then you question. Why am I here? You're a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're all as believers prisoners of Christ. We have been taken captive by Christ to do His will. Perspective. Perspective in all things. We need that as the people of God. That's a a wonder. That's a great blessing as the Apostle teaches us here this morning. Prisoner of Jesus Christ. And he's a prisoner for the Gentiles. The Gentiles are all non-Jews from all the different tribes, tongues, and nations of the world. Now, what was unheard of in the life of a Jew was the Gentiles worshiping the true and living God. They were proselytes. They had to be brought in to the Israelite community. They must become Israelites. And that all goes away with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it's interesting that this was the design of God. Even from the book of Genesis we read about the tent pegs being stretched out because more would be included into this. And yet they did not understand these things. They were hidden from them. It's revealed as progressive revelation. We understand it now that there are two people, Jews and Gentiles, and God takes both of them and brings them together as the temple of the Lord. We are the new temple, one new man out of the two in Christ Jesus who is the true temple. And so we are true worshipers now, the two of us. And there's no longer Jew or Gentile. There's no longer slave nor free. Scythian or barbarian are all the different things and distinctions that the world does. We are in union together. That was unheard of for the Jews. But this is the mystery that is revealed that Paul says. He says in verse 2, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation. That just simply means economy or administration. So what he's saying is that he has been redeemed and the purpose of his redemption was to glorify God in bringing the Jews or bringing the Gentiles the gospel of Jesus Christ. He went to the Gentiles. Peter went to the Jews. And they came with the gospel. So he says, you've heard of this economy of the grace of God, which was given to me for you. God blessed the Apostle Paul that he might be a blessing In the Gentile world. He was hated by many of the Jews. He was persecuted. He was chased. He was one who was despised. He was ridiculed. He was slandered by the Jews. After he was converted to the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know it never moved the Apostle Paul. He kept preaching. He kept praying that the Lord would enable him to preach more boldly. We read of in Ephesians 6. 
to speak boldly as I ought to speak when I speak the word of truth. And so it is. This administration or economy or stewardship, as it were, of the grace of God. Paul was a good steward of God's grace in bringing it to the Gentiles as one who was a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Now let let me ask you this question. As the redeemed, you have a stewardship. As the redeemed, you're a saint in Christ Jesus. As the redeemed, you're a prisoner of Jesus Christ. You have been bought from the slave block to Satan and sin and are now brought into the household of faith and are the people, the children of the living God. How are you doing in your stewardship of the grace of God? How are you exercising yourselves with the grace that God has given you? Let's just simply say the gifts that God has given to you. God has equipped His congregation, His people, with spiritual gifts. And those spiritual gifts are to be used among the congregation to build them up in the fear and instruction of the Lord. To edify, to encourage, to admonish, to put courage to the minds of other individuals. How are you doing? It's a responsibility that we all have as the people of God. To build one another up. To take the lower place. To be foot washers. To outdo one another in doing the lowly service. The world doesn't want the lowly service. We're called to the lowly service. We're called to be faithful and diligent in it. How are you doing, beloved? Do you recognize that you are one who is a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ? And you are a prisoner bought by Christ to then glorify Him in using the gifts and the talents and the abilities that He has given. This is what Paul doesn't hesitate. So he continues to preach and to teach. And he says... He is made known by revelation. Uh, this is, there is a mystery of the old covenant. And Paul says, it's been revealed. God revealed these things to him. This is special revelation. This is revelatory knowledge that was given to the apostles and prophets. It's not given to us in this way. Uh, this is, uh, my preaching is not foretelling. My preaching is forthtelling. I'm telling forth what has been written already. The foretelling that was given to apostles and prophets was that which has not been revealed, which they spoke because it was revelation given to them by God. So Paul, by revelation, made known the mystery. It was made known to him, and he made, made it known to the body of Christ, the mysterion. Now, what is a mystery? To us, we often apply mystery uh, to what the Bible teaches. We, we think of the English word. We don't think of the Greek text and what that word actually means. But mystery, mysterion, or apocalypsis means uh, an unveiling. Something that was unknown prior has now been made known. This is what a biblical mystery is. It hasn't been taught in fullness in the Old Covenant as it now has been revealed in the New Covenant by the apostles and prophets. And he has specifically in mind the bringing together of Jews and Gentiles in one body. Then now that we are fellow heirs with the Jews in Christ Jesus. This is what Paul is saying to the church at Ephesus. He's written briefly already by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge and the mystery of Christ. Well, we certainly do. When we read the scriptures, we see Paul's knowledge in the things of Christ. Peter understood that too in 2 Peter 3. He said, some of the things the Apostle Paul wrote, man, they're hard to understand. 
He understood that Paul had been given a great gift and had great spiritual abilities. He had the ability to write and to understand many of the old covenant teachings and bring them forth as an apostle and through the inspired work of the Spirit of God to write them down for the church to understand the mystery of God. And that mystery was that the kingdom of Christ is no longer contained in the Jewish nation. It has been one that has been spread abroad, north, south, east, and west, and many have been brought in. Many Gentiles have been brought into the body of Christ now and there is one new man and the Jews do not have special privilege and it's never about the Jewish nation. We we make it about, and even our policies in the United States, uh, about Israel. Thinking that it's about Israel. It's no longer about land. It's no longer about the Israel as a nation. It's about the church of Jesus Christ. Well, there is no more of the tribes and tongues and separation, as it were, in this world. They're brought together. And they are now co-heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. Co-heirs together. They share in the inheritance. What, what a wonder. So we must understand this. And this is what the Holy Spirit brings. He brings understanding. He says in verse 5, in other ages, was not made known. They didn't know it. Why? Because revelation is progressive. In the beginning, when we find Adam and Eve and the promise given that the seed of the serpent, uh, would the, that, that head would be crushed by the seed of the woman. Well, when Eve, when they named their, their firstborn, they named Cain, which is, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And in Eve's mind, it was then that the Redeemer had come. They didn't understand that it would be thousands of years later that Christ would come. But they understood the promise and they believed the promise. Revelation is progressive. It gets wider and broader as we see the history of the church goes on. God gives more and more information and adds to the covenant of promise. And that's what we find here with the Apostle Paul. Something is revealed to us that the Jews of old did not understand. Let me give you what the Apostle Paul experienced. Um... Or, excuse me, the Apostle Peter. Peter was, was beckoned to come to a house of a Gentile. And as he went to that house, and Cornelius' house, and he prayed, and the Holy Spirit fell upon them, as Peter says, he'd fell upon us Jews as well. And Peter went back to communicate that to the, the Jewish believers. And they accosted him. You went in to eat with uncircumcised men. What are you doing with those Gentiles? The dogs, the outcasts. That's how they were viewed by the Jews. And Peter said, look, brothers, this is what happened. I was on the housetop and I was in a trance at Simon's house, the tanner. And he says, and in a trance, I saw this sheet let down and I saw all these critters in there. And then I heard a voice say to me from heaven, Peter, rise up and eat. And I said, not so, Lord. I have never eaten anything unclean or common. And it happened to me three times. And three times I heard this voice that said to me, what I have cleansed you must not call common. And then immediately there was a knock at the door and there were three Gentiles. Peter understood the vision that God had also granted salvation to life to the Gentiles. And this is what then the Jews say. 
God is working in the Gentile world as well. And He's bringing us together in one body. That was foreign in the Old Covenant. And now it has been revealed to the church of Jesus Christ. The tribes, the tongues, the nations. That's why this this separation that we have of this church and that church and and these people from there and that tongue and, and they're from this part of the world. That's all a facade. We are one in Jesus Christ. Yellow, red, black, and white, it doesn't matter. Those that are redeemed are precious in the sight of the Lord. We are one body in Him. And this is what Paul is revealing. And so he says, In other ages were not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed, unveiled, apocalyptus. There is an uncovering, an unveiling that's been given to us by the Spirit to the apostles and the prophets. So the Spirit of God has worked in the apostles and prophets to write down the Word of God, uh, the, the revelation that God has given. And as they wrote it down, they explained it then to the church that this is God's purpose. And we're to understand that. We are to be a people that understands that God is doing a work in all the nations of the world. There are Chinese Christians. There are Christians from Afghanistan. There are Christians in Russia. There are Christians in Ukraine, in Taiwan, in Indonesia, in Romania, in Hungary, in Germany, and so on and so forth. There are Christians throughout this whole world. And beloved, we need to understand them as brothers and sisters in Christ. And they are co-heirs with us. No matter what language they speak. We all speak one heavenly language. Christ is Lord. Christ is King. We all know that. And we bow to His Lordship. So if we're going to understand these things, the Spirit has revealed them to the apostles and prophets through the Word. Spoke to them, they wrote it down. We are to then understand through the ministry of the Word. And when we don't understand, it's because we're not in the Word. We're not cultivating the Word. You know, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. But, God has revealed them unto us by His Spirit. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote, 1 Corinthians 2, with regards to the Spirit's work in the apostles and prophets who has revealed certain things to them. I think often we say those words that eye has not seen nor ear heard, nor has entered in the heart of man things which God has prepared for those who love Him. It's all mysterious to us. And then in verse 10, the Apostle Paul says, But God has revealed them to us. And they wrote them down. And we cultivate them. And so that we can cultivate in our lives the things which God has revealed to those who love Him. We understand the glorious kingdom that is coming. We know that we apprehend it. I don't comprehend how glorious it is. But I know that it's glorious. It exceeds the glory of the world. And all the world together. The kingdom of Christ exceeds in glory. I do know that that kingdom is coming. I do know that I'm going to have a body that no longer has the weaknesses that I experience now. I do know that my body will never die again in the kingdom where righteousness dwells. I do know that I'll have no more sinful thoughts, no more sinful words, no more sinful actions. I do know that. That's one of the wonders that God has revealed to those who love Him. Beloved, we must search the Word. 
God reveals these things to us through the apostles' doctrine. He teaches us. That's why the early church was steadfast in the apostles' doctrine, breaking of bread, prayer, and fellowship, cultivating the things of God. We need it. We need it as the people of God. It brings courage to the heart. It encourages us. You know what it means to be encouraged? It means to put courage to someone. It's to build them up in the truth. You know, God is working. God is not going to leave you. It's a wonder of reading the Reformers, those of old, that always brought those words of encouragement in that way. Man up, play the man, while they're being burned to state. You know, Ridley, play the man. Stand firm in the truth. We know what happens after this life. We know to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We know the body they can kill. But the truth triumphs still. You know, Jesus said, Fear not the one who can kill the body and afterwards do nothing. Fear him who can kill the body and afterwards toss the soul into hell. Him you shall fear. Beloved, we have a healthy fear of God. Reverence, honor, worship, obedience, adoration. If we have a healthiness of that fear of the Lord, we're not going to fear the things of men. We're not going to fear what men say to us. Well, they're going to do this to you. They're going to, oh, okay, great. Then I can go be with my Lord where I want to be. You can't defeat a people like that. Well, what's the worst thing they can do to me? Kill me? All right, so the body dies. All right. So then the soul flies away and I go to be with the Lord Jesus Christ, awaiting the resurrection, which is guaranteed. This body is going to come out of the grave. It's going to be covered with immortality and no more corruption. It's going to be swallowed up. I am going to be one, and you as well, who stands at that last day and says, Death, where's your sting? Hades, where is your victory? As we come out of the grave, as a resurrected, glorified people, and say, it has been swallowed up by life in Jesus Christ. I know that, beloved. It's been revealed in the word of truth. That gives you encouragement. It gives you courage. It gives you boldness. It gives you confidence. You don't have to listen to the foolishness that goes on in our world. And so... Cultivate the promises of God in the Word. And this is what the Apostle says, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of His promise in Christ through the Gospel. All the blessings in the heavenly places, they belong to us. Every believer shares in the inheritance. And it's not what we think that goes on in this world. Mom and dad die, and there's inheritance given, and then the tooth and fangs come out, right? i got to make sure I get mine, and I get all that's coming to me. It's not the inheritance like that. It's the fullness of the inheritance. There is no lack. There is no shortage. God provides for His people all the fullness of the inheritance in Christ Jesus. And so, as the people of God, we are worshipers. We are thankful people. We are praising people. We give Him glory. We give Him honor as the one who has pulled us out of the darkness of this world. And has given us life everlasting. You know, I'm just overjoyed that my sins have all been forgiven. Past, present, and future. 
And even, oh, daily I fall short and fall flat on my face. I know that I will not be condemned because of Christ Jesus. And so I can then move on in the Christian life, keeping my eyes fixed upon my Redeemer, the one who lived and died for me and for you if you're trusting in Him. He lived and died in your place. You are the righteousness of God in Him, beloved. And all the blessings are in Christ Jesus and they are yours in Him. He shares in the inheritance. What a wonder. This blew the mind of the Jews as the Apostle Paul taught this. One body, many members, one body. Different functions, one body in Jesus Christ. Serving, glorifying, honoring, worshiping Him. And so Paul says, rejoice in this. Rejoice that you're a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ and a steward of the mysteries. You know things that the world doesn't know. You know from every tribe, tongue, and nation of the world, God has His people. There's the sand by the seashore, as the stars of the heaven. Go out and bring the gospel, beloved. You know the end of the story. I said this morning in Sunday school, the death of a loved one. That's not the end of it. That's not a goodbye. Goodbye is when you leave and you don't see that person again. There's no goodbye in that sense for the Christian. For the believer to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, but still united to Christ even as we are here on this earth. It's only a matter of time before the consummation of all things. Christ returns with all those loved ones who have died in Jesus Christ. What a day that will be. What a throng of the redeemed worshiping the King who has called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. One body, many members, all for the purpose of exalting, honoring, worshiping, praising the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let's get busy in the stewardship of the grace that has been given to us, of ministering to one another and serving our Lord and worshiping and extolling His holy name. Amen. Shall we pray?